Okay, so this is our first try with this. We're tentatively calling this Sin of Matrimony. This is going to be a podcast feature where myself, Matt Scalisi, and my wife, Francesca Scalisi, we're going to uh, <laughs> just discuss whatever theatrically released film we just saw. In this case, we're talking about The Social Network, which I actually saw about a week ago. Francesca, you just got home from it. So yes. let me – I'll, I'll start by asking you some questions about it because I, I've sort of made my opinions known already on the main Roundtable podcast. But give me, I guess, first off, you know, you and I have watched a good bit of Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. So what do you what do you think as far as how this stacks up with the rest of the Aaron Sorkin work we've seen? Sort of do a little compare contrast there. Well, I'll tell you what he excels at is making the mundane very interesting. Um, Roger Ebert is very fond of talking about, like, how do you make a movie about writers? It's just be a guy, you know, how, how do you make that movie? It's just somebody writing on a piece of paper. And the same can be said for computer programmers. How do you make a movie about computer programmers? It's just guys sitting at computers. And he did it. And, you know, of course, the real story is not writing code. It's the the dramatics, the personalities, you know, the climb to success. That's the story. And making the rest of it uh, attainable to the audience is what Aaron Sorkin is very good at, as evidenced in The West Wing, which, you know, the nuts and bolts of the American government is really dry stuff, but he made it, you know, he, he made the personalities what kept you coming back, but you were learning about how our government worked at the same time. So... It was, I was thinking about it, and like, other than maybe Charlie Kaufman, I can't think of any writer who you go like, oh, that's an Aaron Sorkin movie. Like, that's a writer's name movie. I really think of this more as an Aaron Sorkin movie than a David Fincher movie, which says something. That doesn't happen very often. Well, no, that's, uh, I mean, to be honest, that is sort of like how it went down. I mean, basically, the, the public story anyway is that this was Aaron Sorkin's movie. And that he was very involved in every aspect yeah, of it. Yeah, in the cameo part. There was two things that annoyed me about this movie. It was that Aaron Sorkin felt like he needed to have a cameo. And that you can CG one man into two, but you can't get fog down on a winter's night. Just leave out the fog. I don't need it. It Wait, was what? so badly. It was CG'd in. Do you think the, the CG breath was... That was yeah. breath? Well... But, yes, it uh, was. Wait, wait, because there I were wait. moments where they would say things and there was no fog. It was driving me insane. Well, it didn't really bother me that much. I, I thought to myself that might be computer. No, you didn't, because you just now said. Well, I just wasn't totally sure about it. But, no, I, I mean, I, sure it, it wasn't to, to the point been. that I was distracted. I was. All because, right. well, again, you've mastered making one man into two, but you can't make CG breath. Like, just have them shiver. It's fine. I don't need to see their breath to know that it's cold outside. Which, by the way... It's not relevant to the scene anyways, other than that he said, my legs are going numb. Well, and they're in Massachusetts. So. Well, yeah. But I'm just saying. I don't need to see their breath. It's called acting. Well, Shiver. I get it. So, going back to it, what we were saying before. Sorry. Yes. Aaron Sorkin, this was his movie. He researched it. He put the whole thing together. And David Fincher was sort of hired to do it. Although, I do think he did a... I do think it is sort of well-directed. There's lots of nice little touches as far as how it looks, too, and, and you know, Yeah, I'm not saying David Fincher did a bad job. I'm just saying 
very few writers in Hollywood are, you know, name writers. Yes, you're right. It's a rare thing that the screenwriter gets that level of uh, recognition. But I think, you know, to me, where it really sticks out and where you feel like it's an Aaron Sorkin-y movie is the opening scene, for sure. Well... Which, and tell me what you think about that. Were you... Were you some people have said they try to cram too much into that scene. Yeah, it, I, I a little bit felt like it was Sorkin very much asserting himself. Because, I mean, that is, you know, his thing, is people talking fast and being really smart and being really clever and talking over each other. And that's, like, his trademark. But it, it almost, knowing that going in, and I'm sure most people don't, to me it was sort of like, we get it. Like, it was a little ham-fisted. Like, I was like, I know, buddy. You're smart. You're smarter than everybody in the audience. But it is because they went like that for about 15 minutes too. Like when he was that night, then after he went home, it was very like rapid fire stuff, and it was kind of like whoa, well, slow down there, buddy. Internal monologue though. Yeah, but when a lot of it was also department. going, you know, which I can understand too, speeding through the technical aspects of it. Right. But it kind of irritated me as someone who was like, wait, well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand. But I think the point is you don't really have to understand. No, you don't need to know anything about that. He was writing around, you know, PHP language or whatever. But the, the, I mean, the opening, what I like about the opening scene, because yes, it is, I think it's supposed to sound like a little difficult for us to comprehend. And that they're, that he's, that they're trying to sound really smart because they would be, because it's a kid from Harvard and a girl who's hanging out with a guy from Harvard, who's trying to, you know, stay in the conversation with him. Not that she's not capable of it. It's just that she's probably, she's obviously a little insecure about it because she gets so upset with him as soon as he makes any slight assertion. No, I think he was being an A. Yes, he was, but I'm just saying, she was obviously defensive about it. Let's think about some people we know who get really mad when someone is condescending. Mm -hmm. It's a smart girl who has a husband who is smart, but slightly less, and he sometimes gets condescending, and it makes the girl really mad. Who do we know like that? Anybody we know? No. Uh Not ringing any bells. Listening audience, I'm looking pointedly at him. Anyways... So, but no, I think she had a right to be annoyed with. Her. Yes, I'm not saying she didn't, but I think that what she's not insecure in the restaurant. She totally takes him down. Right, but but it, the point the point I'm trying to make about the dialogue in the scene is that I think they're both just trying to be really snarky and clever, and no, they don't you got it completely wrong. No, and then and at some point it takes a turn. To where she has actually become offended, and nope. he doesn't—he doesn't notice. He doesn't understand that she's actually offended. He thinks they're both still being clever and snarky. See, I, I don't read it like that at all. I see it as this is this is the thing I was just pondering to myself moments ago that in this film, Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, I got nervous that I just forgot his name. Yeah, that's, what it that's is. the character. He name. is about he doesn't change and i don't think he's being snarky in that scene because you get the sense i mean he's vaguely asperger's the way he's played and the way he's written that he just doesn't have people skills right i think he's i don't think he's being offensive and i don't think he's trying to be funny when he's like confused by her you know responses to him you think he's just being i think he honestly because that that is true to the way he is through the rest of the movie too that he's very like literal minded 
like kind of in his own world doing his own thing no like filter. not thinking about the human connection at right. all so I don't think he's being snarky she's the one being snarky in that scene I think he's just being him and I think it's right. setting up that this is the kind of person he is that he's so self-absorbed not particularly in an egotistical way although y- yes but like just he's so within himself that he can't even like have a conversation with a girl and even right. get that he's being super insulting to her but he's not but right but he's not trying to insult her and so he's a little bit surprised when he discovers that she actually is insulted and that she's getting yeah when she breaks up with him he's like what right. what right we're just having a conversation right like, he didn't even see that he was being hateful P.S. I think you should have opened with what is the most impressive thing. Okay, well, what is the most impressive thing? The boy from Jurassic Park is back on the big screen. Joey Mazzello, he's back in there, buddy. Let me tell you, he's been back for a little while. He was in he was in the critically acclaimed HBO miniseries The Pacific. He was one of the main stars of that, and so he's been boring. No, it was look, it's has generated a couple of stars out of that show yeah well. <clears throat> but he's i mean he has a very very small part in this movie that was the best thing about the movie to you i was just making a joke oh okay i was excited though it took me a while to figure it out and i was like wait a second well look he's so, also in the cure tear jerker you and i you and i are both uh we're we're both sort of fans i guess you could say of the swedish version of um, of the the girl with the dragon tattoo. What does this have to do with? Well, David Fincher is going to be making an American version of the movie with Rooney Mara, who he obviously met while directing her in this movie. So, what do you think? This is sort of a side question that has little to do with this movie. I just want to know what you think as a fan of of that of the original movie. A do you think David Fincher is going to be good at it? B do you think Rooney Mara is a good Lizbeth? Um, she'll be good as it. She's miscast. Do you really think she's miscast? Having read the books and seen the movie, yeah, she's supposed to be, like, a severe-looking character. And Rooney Mara is a pretty girl. And, I mean, look, she's she's she was very good in this movie and, you know, had a confidence about her, which a lot of young actresses don't have. So, I'm not saying she can't pull it off, but in terms of being true to the character that was written... Mm, no. Now, she is actually more appropriate age, because in the book, she's supposed to be, like, 23, 24. Mm-hmm. Which, that is one thing I wanted to point out about this movie, you know, that we're supposed to be talking about. Yeah, um, sorry about that little It was. Tangent. It seems to be a nice trend in Hollywood to actually cast people who are the correct ages for the films. Now, I bet Army, what's his face? Army Hammer. Army Hammer. Arm and Hammer. I bet he's older. And obviously, Justin Timberlake is older than yeah, Parker but was supposed to be. No, but Sean Parker was supposed to be around like he's thirty. I think, no, I don't think he would have been that yeah, old. And I he, think had, he invented Napster in like two thousand when he was nineteen. Yeah. So that no, that would have only made him in mid twenties. Okay, well, I, so, I, you don't buy Justin Timberlake. No, I'm not 20s? saying. I'm just saying, but it was kind of what makes it shocking and interesting, and, and to me, in a lot of ways. A lot of Zuckerberg's, the characters of Zuckerberg, I should say, not the guy himself, uh, a lot of his actions forgivable is that they're young guys, and getting to watch them portrayed by young guys makes it, you know, a lot more potent to to observe people acting. I mean, because, you know, 
it, it sort of takes you back when this young guy is saying to his equally young friend, "You're the CFO," and it's like, "Yeah, you guys are in college. Like, what?" Yeah, but they're CEO, I mean, yeah, but they're CFO. really they're ambitious people. You know, they, they go to Harvard. They don't really play the same game as as those of us who went to, you know, less like the guy behind the desk said, Harvard people make their own jobs right there is definitely a more advanced level of ambition when you're talking about kids at ivy league schools they they are sort of expected to create opportunities for themselves and and you know there's been so many stories of people who started businesses while they were in school at, at these ivy league schools and they became successful businesses you know i don't really want to talk about the way the movie was made particularly because i think it was you know good yeah, it was solid. I want to talk about. You don't want to talk about the Army Hammer effect. It's, no, because it was. It's awesome. I mean, it was though, flawless. Right? It's, I mean, it's perfect. You never that, did. You ever spot which one was fake? No, and the thing I don't understand is, you know, look, they did it in 1996 with Lindsay Lohan. Why don't you just split screen it? Forget it, like well, face transplanting. There were some very good cells. In other words, there there were a couple. You know, the Peter Jackson theory of that is when you're doing these trick photography things, you you got to have you got to throw in like three or four shots where people it, it sort of subconsciously clues people in to go, okay, well he couldn't have done that with a split screen, so now I'm sold that it's actually what I'm looking at. Yeah. So he the Peter Peter Jackson did it with, you know, one guy is really big, one guy's really small and and it's two actors who are the same size so you get a couple of shots where you sell the effect and i think they did that with i think there were a few shots you you might not even be able to recall them off the top of your head where you couldn't have done it split screen it was done well enough that it wasn't at all in my mind right i knew it was there but but if you hadn't known going in if i didn't know going in so when i saw it I did think it was two different actors. Okay. Anyways. I'm just saying I knew it wasn't, and it, it just was a non-issue because okay. it was done well, and that was that. My point, where I started going with this, was do you think Mark Zuckerberg is at fault? That's what I want to talk about. Well, I want to talk about the actual it's story. Not, uh, well, okay, well, let's talk within the story because... I want to, by the way, automatically assume that this isn't really fully true to life. So I don't really want to talk about the real world of it, but within the story itself. Yeah, but the lawsuits are true. Yeah, but this isn't, I mean, it's, you know, whether or not it's, I'm sure there's stuff that they got wrong. And so I don't really want to talk about the real guy, but within the logic of the movie, you know, I think, I think there are certainly stories out there where people were a lot less ethical than Mark Zuckerberg was in how they made their millions. I mean, if you know the story of Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and what they did early on in the 80s, you know, they literally stole things from other people. I mean, they literally went and visited other companies, took an idea that they never even would have thought of on their own, and beat them to the punch and got it out the door. So, you know, as far as what Mark Zuckerberg really did was he already, you could tell in in the story of the movie, he basically understood that there was something out there. There was an idea out there. And the only reason he even sort of latched on to the Winklevoss twins 
idea was because he was kind of like, well, I've been thinking the same thing you guys are, and you guys have just sort of defined it for me a little bit. But, you know, his argument, and I would say he's probably correct, is what they really did was they inspired him to create Facebook. They didn't create it. And and as he points out, too, in that in one of their hearings, he says, if you guys were creatively and mentally capable of of coming up with Facebook, you would have done it. But you never would have. That, to me, that was the line that yeah. I was like, this is, I mean, that is absolutely the truth. If right. he, As he said, you know, I didn't use any of your code. Right. That's life. I mean, ideas are floating out there all the time. And it is. And even they say at one point, you know, he got there first. And, you know, it's the person who gets there first that wins. Not necessarily, because he obviously grew it into what it is. Mm-hmm. But to me, that is, yeah, he didn't steal anything from you. You said this one thing, and he fleshed it out and wrote the code. I mean, to me, that is the thing. <clears throat> he wrote the code. Like, yeah. It's his thing. Now, now, what he did that was unethical was he misled them to, to believe that but, he was working on it for them. Again, he, but, yeah. they didn't sign a contract. You know, like, I don't feel like he did anything wrong. And it actually... And this is, of course, just the way it is in the movie, not necessarily real life. But, you know, the twins went to him, going to prepare to use him, prepared to prey on his weakness to push their idea forward. And he kind of got wise enough, or maybe he didn't, maybe he just lucked into it. But, you know, it kind of, you get the impression their plan was, like, look, this guy is in, we can exploit him. Like, he's obviously smart, and he needs good, you know, he wants good standing, so let's exploit him for our means and he just figured out, wait, I can do it without them. I think it's silly that they brought a lawsuit against him. Well, they did get money for it. I know. Well, especially because it's established that they're, like, rich kids anyways. Like, that's just really obnoxious. Like, get over it, dude. Like, I mean, <laughs> Well, honestly, they didn't want the money. After it was the, the principle that, of yeah, being... Yeah, but you don't yeah. get to be principled if you're already really rich. Which, like, which by the way... You can't go, give me $65 million because you kind of stole my idea. It's pretty clear that Eduardo Saverin was rich, too. And the reason that he... He really just didn't like being cut out of the business and and having his name taken off the masthead because that was part of his settlement was they put his name back on there that yeah. Facebook was created by Mark Zuckerberg and Eduardo Saverin. I think um, I, I feel <clears throat> a little bad for him, but again, to me, the business sense of that is that even though he was, quote, working for the company all the time, he was away from it being developed, he wasn't actually, like, falling in with, you know, Zuckerberg, who more or less was, you know, the the brains, the know-how behind the operation. And he kept on going, I'm going to go and find us advertisers, even when Zuckerberg was saying, I don't want to find advertisers. I don't want to put well, ads on this page. So he kind of, like, uh, Eduardo was sort of separating himself all this time. So in terms of business, even though it, it seems nasty and there are two kids and it was his one friend and everything, like, he wasn't being a good partner in as much as he wasn't there. He wasn't willing to really commit himself to it in the way that Zuckerberg was. Well, I would say that he, if you want to get movie, you know, movie reference on it, Eduardo Saverin is kind of like Fredo from The Godfather. No. Because what it is is that he didn't do anything wrong, and so he's sympathetic when it happens to him. It, it, it had to happen, though, to him. He had to get cut out eventually even though he didn't do anything wrong and it's it's just because he's weak he's incapable he he, he was holding the company back just by even being a shareholder he just wasn't the guy 
He wasn't up for the job. Well, and the interesting factor is because you have all these Harvard egos at play, like he wasn't willing to take a back seat when that seemed to be like obviously Zuckerberg was on something and was getting it done and even though Parker was kind of unsavory as a character we'll say you know he was making things happen and Eduardo was because like he but knows I know you know I'm a rich guy and I put the seed money in so I'm entitled to my opinion like he couldn't you know he couldn't acknowledge that maybe you know pounding the pavement trying to find marketing wasn't what was important at that time it was like he couldn't he he had the ego and the Harvard you know uh, sense of uh, entitlement that he couldn't go like you know what I should just be content to go along with this that's obviously working well he wasn't he wasn't thinking big enough you know he because in the end as much of a jerk as they, the Sean Parker character is the reason that he became a partner and Saverin got cut out is because Saverin was trying to run it and, and say like okay look we've made it We've got a million people, you know, let's start selling some ads and making money. And Sean Parker knows the internet well enough, and he has enough of a vision to know that a a million people is so just the beginning of this. And obviously, he was was right. He knew to think bigger because it's not even, it's not even five years later after that point here, and, and now we have, there's 500 million yeah. Users. Well, and what's what I think is, fu- you know, it's funny to watch it from right now because it's such. I mean, it's a part of virtually everyone's life. Almost every, you know, probably ninety percent of Americans, you know, check Facebook multiple, multiple times a day, and it's kind of funny to watch it. And you know, they were smart. They didn't start doing advertising until it was like an integral part of so many people's lives that nobody's going to be annoyed that there's tiny tailored ads on the side of your Facebook page because it is a part of your everyday life. Mm-hmm. But if they had put it on early, yeah, they would have lost the cool factor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I, you remember when parents started being able to come on, I told you, oh, like, this is going to make it uncool. But at that point, again... It was okay when that happened because at that point it was just such a part of everyone's life. Well, you can't go back now. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, like if they had done that, you know, in 2003 and anybody could get on, it wouldn't have gotten the buzz factor that it did. And that was kind of Parker's value to it was he seemed to be, he seemed to know how to make something cool or to make sure it stayed cool. But I kind of felt like, I thought one thing that was very telling in terms of establishing Zuckerberg's character that um, kind of to me was something I kept thinking on through the whole movie is that in that first meeting with the twins, and it's sort of a throwaway thing, they say that, oh, he invented something when he was in high school and Microsoft wanted to buy it. And he was like, no, I just uploaded it so people could use it for free. Right. I mean, that is also one of his strokes of genius. And the part that kind of makes me go like, there must be something a little altruistic about him is that Facebook, he's never charged users. There's nothing on Facebook that you pay Facebook to use it. And that's part smart, but also it seems to indicate that he has a little bit of an aversion to, like, the man. And, you know, making people pay for his content kind of thing. Well, and that's the way Internet people think. That's the big difference between him and old line, you know, let's say, like, business types like the Winklevoss twins are which is that internet you know internet people view things in a different way they understand that content is not 
uh, is should never be a matter of people having to pay to get it because the internet doesn't it wouldn't work that way if if, if everyone in the you know in the early days of the internet if it was built on a model of you have to pay to see anything there would be no the internet would be nothing it would be so irrelevant the the reason it's it is what it is ubiquitous yeah it's the most important form of information exchange in the world is because it's all free information or at least 99% of it is free information on the internet and the way you make money is the you know the, the sacrifice that we as users have to make is that we have to look at ads and you know so he understands he understands that about it and he also understands that it it's got to be keeping up you know it, he he was ambitious with it the whole time and he was never going to say okay we've made it let's start making money and he still isn't you know what and now i am going real world outside of the movie but it does fit a lot with his character this idea of just this week that you know, you're talking about when parents got on it, we, people thought it was going to ruin it. And it, it did sort of ruin it for some people. And so this week he comes out with this thinly veiled uh, new format for Facebook that basically solves that problem. And it's going to create new Facebooks within Facebook. And it's all about exclusivity again. It goes back to what his original purpose for facebook was which is to be a part of an exclusive group and now there's going to be exclusive groups within facebook so it's like facebook is i mean it's it's almost like inception there's like <laughs> you go down one level into facebook originally and it's like oh it's this cool club that only college kids are in well then they let more and more people in and now everyone's there so now we have to go down another level yeah. to be exclusive again yeah so you know it's we we were talking also, and you were saying how, you know, this thing he made and how important it's become. I was talking to some friends last night, and we were talking about just how different being in high school must be now. Because when we were in high school, I mean, I didn't even send my first text message until I was in college. But, oh, I think I was out of college before I used text yeah, messages. And, and just think of how it changed communication just to have that form. And now, you know, I remember, I think back about high school and think about how I overanalyzed everything I ever said and everything I did and, and how and thought about, I, I never did anything without thinking about how it looked to everyone else. And, you know, it can be paralyzing sometimes because, and that's just how high school kids are. They're, you're worried about how everybody else perceives you when you're in high school. Well, think about what that must be like to be in high school now that there's Facebook that you don't get to be on break from it when you go home from school there's this other world that I'm sure you're somewhat expected to show up in but or at least you want to be a part of it because you see all your friends on there and now everything you say all the pictures you put up all the posts you make you you must post it and, and it must be these high school kids worrying what are people going to think about that? What image am I putting out there? I mean, it's now well, no, it's full time job. I mean, in a way, it's yeah, it's a full time job, but it's it's image management. I mean, these kids now can go like, oh, don't put up that picture of me. I look fat. You know, I mean, like they're well, you're right, in they control have, of it. Right. Unlike saying something out loud, you get a chance to consider things before you put it up. And, on and now, as we know, lots of young people don't. 
and you're right, yeah. them and make fun of them. Right. But, I mean, if you are, you know, someone who is a worried and thoughtful high schooler, you also have the opportunity to, you know, you may be shy, but you can be super, you know, articulate when you're, can type what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, but it is, it is weird. It is extremely weird to think of because, you know, like, there was some light IMing that happened when I was in <laughs> high school. That's, that's it. That's the extent of the, like, technical stuff that yeah, was going on. Yeah, me too. And even that caused problems. I, I mean, I had times where my tone was not correctly uh, conveyed through an IM and, you know, made somebody mad or something like that. So, you know, and I can't, I, I'm sure that similar things happen on Facebook, too. But, you know, what's amazing to me and kind of ludicrous even to think about is, like, when I have to email someone anymore, since I'm not in, like, work where I email, I just use Facebook. And I'm, I am I have so many more contacts through Facebook. That's where I go to message people. I don't I don't go, you know, log on to my email to send even my mom, you know, an, an email. Mm-hmm. I do it now through Facebook. Like, it really is about the only thing I use on the Internet. I mean... I it's, look at Twitter and stuff, you're but Facebook not, is, like, what you use. Yeah. And it's, I mean, information sharing, you know, I, when I'm, you know, planning a bachelorette party for my little sister, I email everybody on Facebook, you know, yeah. and you know that people will check it. That's the thing. It's not, like, email that you're like, oh, I hope they still use this address. It's, for most people, it's the first website they check. And some for some people, it's the it's literally the first thing. I've, I, I've got, you know, surveys since I work with this stuff in my job that say there is a huge chunk of people that is literally the first thing they do when they get up in the morning before they go to the bathroom they check Facebook yeah. and it's just it's more important than email It's and I mean wouldn't that have sounded crazy even when we first got on it and as much as we used Facebook and I can remember it sort of being a tab you know at least something you should be embarrassed about everybody saying Oh, you're, like, obsessed with Facebook. You're on it all day. No, see, I didn't use it a lot when it first but, came out, but I was sort of on the front end of it, I mean, I think. we'll laugh at that that kind of statement now because Facebook is the – it, it, it's for the people who are on it, for most of the people who are on it, which is half a billion people in the world, it's the, I mean, it's the, it's the way that you communicate with other people the most. Some people – and and not weird people. Some people do more communication through Facebook than verbally during the day, on an average day. Well, I mean, and I communicate more on Facebook in as much as, you know, I have access to a lot more people on Facebook than I do, mm-hmm. you know, any day of my life, you know. And, like, I mean, I have a lot of out-of-town family, and it's kind of great. Like, you know, I know there's sort of a debate, you know, oh, the Internet makes us more... What was the phrase that that guy used? This something communicating, like associate. Oh, I don't. Know. Well, it's basically he's talking about a one-way social relationship. But on the other hand, you know, I get to hear, you know, on any given day, the thoughts of my cousin who lives in Ohio, who, you know, pre-Facebook, I would see maybe once a year, mm-hmm. you know, and like now I get to have these little snapshots of my extended family. That I would not, there was there would be no way for me to know, you know, that, for instance, my cousins Allison and Marissa went to Sephora and, like, did their makeup and were like, well, we're sisters, this is great. Like, that's so nice that I got to be a little part of that. 
And I would have, of course, that was just a mundane, you know, detail of their day, but I got to be a part of it thanks to uh, the old Facebook and, well, Twitter also. Yeah, I really don't think that it's, I mean, in a way, we've never been more in touch with other people, you know, than and with a larger group of people than we are through Facebook. But then it opens the debate of, you know, yes, you're in touch with more people, but are we actually sitting and having conversations? You know, it's sort of at the cost of, you know, spending time on, you know, deep relationships. Instead, we're, you know, shooting one-liners to each other's walls, you know. So that's kind of, I guess, the, the fault that can be found in it, is that, you know, we spend time looking at a computer screen and, you know, being pithy with one another instead of, like, sitting at a coffee shop and having a long conversation with a friend. Well, I mean, I think those things still happen. But probably not as much. If you think about how much time people spend, you know, in front of the Facebook, if we want to be retro about it. Did that make you laugh when they were talking about the Facebook in the movie? Yeah, it was awkward. I don't even remember people calling it the Facebook. Well, but at that point, I mean, the timeline of the movie, that was when it was in, like, 25 schools. So no, it, it was probably by the time it got to Alabama, I no, don't think Supposedly it, it was the Facebook when it first got to Alabama. Now, I don't remember that because I... Don't remember, but didn't Graham always say that? Yeah. I seem to remember. Because didn't he say in your movie, Matt, is this you just opening the door for me to talk about your movie? No. Didn't he say something about like, oh, I've got to, I've got to go check the Facebook? The Facebook? Does he say he that? Does, I think he does actually say and that. And we're talking about Graham Uh-oh. Flanagan's uh, student film that he made called The Machine. Oh, who was in that, Matt? It, it was uh, starring another of our film nerds contributors, Ben Stark. Was there someone else? Yeah, it was co-starring uh, me. Oh, my gosh. That's Oh, gosh. Wow. Yes. And also Graham. And Graham also. And shot by Ben Flanagan in many situations. Hmm. How about it that? It was a full film nerd's effort, that movie. We should put up a DVD of it on the website for people to buy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, so, Jesse Eisenberg. Let's talk about him. Speaking of Ben Flanagan. Okay. Because, you know. They resemble a little bit. Love you, Ben. But do you think know. Ben looks like Jesse Eisenberg? There's just something about them. I don't know. There's Well, most people, uh, there are a lot of people listening to this who will never have seen Ben. So well, I'm just saying. He, they, they could be cousins, let's say. Okay. Let's say they could be cousins. <laughs> How about that? Uh, Jesse Eisenberg, I, he, was very, he was good in this. What was interesting is that this movie revolves around this guy who... In a lot of ways, was very terse and didn't, you know, didn't say a lot for the main character of a movie. Like, he would sort of say a lot, and then there would be a lot of him reacting to people and grimacing. And he was, I mean, he was, I think he could have been a more hateful character. I think he was played in a sympathetic way, which, again, could be a factor of, too, that he's a young guy. I mean, he really is like a 23 or 24-year-old guy. Which makes you kind of feel yeah. bad for him anyways. I think he is likable in a way. People say that there are no likable characters in this movie. But I I enjoy watching him because I think he's smart. And I and I like... Just like characters on The West Wing or Studio 60 in particular, if you want to talk about Sorkin. Because Studio 60 has a lot of very flawed characters who are still very enjoyable to watch because they're smart. And they're, you know, they're self-destructive in spite of their intelligence. Mm-hmm. So I think that's sort of a good comparison for this, you know, the the especially the Matthew Perry character 
in in Studio 60 because you've got this it's kind of similar to the Mark Zuckerberg character because they're both the smartest people in the room and they you know the stuff they come out with is really clever and makes you laugh and and yet they have these tremendous personality flaws and you know it's somehow believable that somebody could be that self-aware and still have all those problems well i think sort of some of his standout reacting stuff was in the uh in the well, we'll call them courtroom scenes. They were over a board table or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you know that was a lot of him reacting, and his stuff with uh, with Parker was interesting because he didn't say a lot, but you could see him sort of taking in and absorbing and sort of being mesmerized by the sales pitch that uh, Parker had going on. Sure. Oh yeah, he Where says he totally dresses down the, the guy. it's the it's raining. It just started raining scene. Yeah. That was what a I'm great, saying not important to you? Now, I th- I think he delivered it really well, but I think that scene is also just... That would that scene works on paper. You know, that's just a brilliantly written moment. Well, and the thing that is established early on, and again, is probably true to life, is you have these young men, these, you know, young by 10, 15 years, younger than everyone else in the room, guys who are totally in control of the situation and it is that Harvard you know you have that Harvard entitlement element at play do you want to turn down the baby monitor just Sorry. until we're finished All right. I feel bad it's but okay. uh, you know that I mean you have that and the fact that Zuckerberg is a genius like I don't think anyone can say that the guy isn't smart, and 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 in a way, he's right. You know, like why should he give? These are frivolous lawsuits. Not so much with Eduardo, but the with the twins. That really is just a vanity lawsuit, and he has a right. I feel like to be like this isn't worth my time. Like you're keeping me from only doing like the most important. You know, not necessarily important in the sense of like finding a cure for a disease, but important in terms of touching the most people in the world's lives invention that there's been in, you know, 20 years, that it's really relevant to so much of everyone. Yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, I, you know, I kept on thinking about, like, our forefathers and how we've uncovered some unsavory things about them. One Thomas Jefferson comes to mind, but it kind of doesn't diminish what they did knowing in retrospect that maybe right they still you know, had a good idea and obviously and they I don't got think it done. Facebook is as important as the Revolutionary War but that's what I think about like well, more history well I mean like you know history forgives the big ones like the, the right. big geniuses the big you know game changers are forgiven their human faults because of what they have accomplished and I feel like he is you know I knowing what Facebook has become. I sort of forgive him his foibles, which I honestly think aren't actually that many. Well, eggs get broken in any major situation like that. And probably if you go back and look at all the great scientific discoveries, probably somebody contributed to it that got stepped on and pushed out of the way and never got recognition for it. You know, there are people... You know, the guy that invented the TV basically wasn't recognized as the inventor until after he was dead. Right. Just because there was a slicker guy with, you know, better hair 
who was able to step out in front of him and take credit for it. So, it, yeah. and by the way, Aaron Sorkin wrote uh, a play about that, uh, and I, it was basically like the first thing he did. But uh, so it's clearly a subject matter that he's interested in too. He, he likes this. You know, most people see the myth about Mark Zuckerberg invented Facebook. And Aaron Sorkin is always interested in what the reality behind a myth, which is often ugly and clumsy. And, you know, that that's what the whole point of the West Wing is, is that we get to see the myth of a president as people, you know, that we get to see the, the, the image that gets put forth on TV and the official story, and that behind every president like that or every inventor or, you know, great, perfect story... There's a lot of clumsy messing around, people somehow getting it done against the odds, and you know, and and, and sort of very human people See, along the way. I, the thing is, though, this movie to me actually, I I really expected to go in and go and leave, going this is a bad guy, and to me, I'm like, no, he he is by rights the founder of this. This is, I mean, this movie. What I took from it was that, like, no, it really was his thing. And and there is the element of his story that is, you know, like, he obviously, even though he's a Harvard kid, you know, within the Harvard society, he's sort of lower class. So you do get to see, like, the little guy sort of triumph. And, of course, it is bittersweet because he didn't really make any friends by ironically, you know, creating the biggest, you know, friend network in the world. Right. And, well, yeah, sure, that's the last shot. Yeah. In the end, he's still desperate for acceptance yeah. from people. So. But then, on the other hand, you still are like, well, good for you. Like, why should these, you know, gorgeous crew guys, guy, you know, be, why should these kids who've already lived a life of privilege get a little more? And again, which is what, to me, makes it that much more despicable that just out of spite, they're like, oh, we're going to sue him. We're going to take him down. But they're not it's really like, doing it. I mean, look, I think they are. I think you might be not giving the Winklevoss twins enough credit here because... I'm just saying it probably happens the, all the time, but yeah. they had the resources to go after this man worth, you know, billions. But I don't think and, they did it out of spite, really. And there might have been some of that, but I think it was... Yes, no, they were totally motivated by spite. They were mad at him. That's why uh, they did it. They I think were mad. they did it because it's a very... it's the In their mind, the Harvard man thing to do. There was this code of ethics and... It's about being a gentleman and giving someone else the credit when they do something. And they felt like Mark Zuckerberg was breaking the the rules of the old line of businessmen. The way business was done, he was breaking those rules. And they didn't appreciate that, that he broke their code, their sort of unwritten code of how one conducts oneself. And they were really just trying to uphold. The, their suing him was mostly saying... We can't let someone get away with this because if we do, then our whole way of doing things will fall apart. It is amazing how you and I view movies so differently. We should make a podcast about it because I don't think that it was about, you know, them being insulted by what he did. Because if you remember, the one twin kept on saying, like, he was the one who was resistant and was going, like, no, that's not how Harvard men behave. We wouldn't go sue him. Like, that's not being honorable. And they finally just got annoyed enough. They were like, all right, screw it. We're going to sue him. I don't think he was considered to... When they would say, like, that's not how a Harvard man behaves, referring to themselves, I think, you know, they were considering the the finals, the final thingies, you know? They're talking about the clubs. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like, I think that's what they're saying. You know, we're the upper class and we're these Harvard men and we're not going to lower ourselves to behave the way he is. I think that is sort of a class system within right. the school. Yeah. And they weren't saying they expected him to hold up to that. And they were, you know, the one brother kept on trying to say, like, no, we're not going to stoop to that. We're not going to stoop to that. And then they just got annoyed enough that someone else was getting the credit for their idea, which... Well, that's what I'm saying. I, it's not about they wanted money. They wanted to... Uh, they, they wanted credit. They didn't Which lo- they didn't get. And, right. you know, Eduardo sure. did, which, and again, in the end, me, that's why they lose. That's why they're bigger losers in this lawsuit is because they may have gotten paid off some money, but... No one, it will go down in history. I mean, when people talk about Facebook, the Winklevoss twins will be a tiny footnote, and at least Saverin will be noted as one of the co-founders. You and know? I th- and I do think that is, you know, at least by the movie version of things, how it should be. Like that yeah. is justice being served. Like yeah, you know, I think he couldn't have done it without Eduardo Saverin's thousand dollars. He, and he had, you know, he and could his, have uh, done it without the Winklevoss twins. And in fact, he did do it without them. You know, all they did was ignite the spark that may have eventually been ignited regardless. So. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Well, so your opinion. Is this, where is this for you this year? Can you think of a movie that is more deserving of Best Picture, A, and B, a movie that you really like more than this movie? Is this your favorite and is it your Best Picture pick? I can't think of what I've seen. Indecisive. Inception. It was, it was good. Oh, yeah, I would say it's this and Inception are probably. I know you like Scott Pilgrim a lot as upon a personal favorite level. Yeah. I'm sure you wouldn't vote it for Best Picture, but Scott Pilgrim. Maybe I would. I'm subversive. See, I really like Scott Pilgrim on a personal level, and I might. I, I've got a good feeling it's going to be vying for number one with Social Network at the end of the year. I did really like Inception. That is a three-way tie for number ones for me. Yeah. Uh, Social Network has probably got... See, it'll be interesting to see. It's got the, um, you know, behind-the-scenes pedigree. But as you and I discussed uh, before I saw the movie, it is strange to think of a movie headlined by such young stars to be a a Best Picture nominee. That's hard for me to... Corey Craft, I think I've heard say a couple of times, this will be a movie that one day we'll all say, I can't believe all those people were in the in that one movie. Yeah. Because he really thinks that these people will all end up, Rooney Mara, Jesse Eisenberg, Army Hammer, and uh, and I'm forgetting the guy that plays Eduardo. Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield, who's going to be the next or Spider-Man. So. we might say, disproportionately large head, McGee. Could he also does be his have name. a big head, yeah. I don't, I, you know, I don't it's know. It's the hair, it's, though. It's the hair. It's the hair. He has a bouffant. yeah. He has a bouffant. Yeah. But he's also a tiny guy, like, in terms of skinniness. Although, maybe he was just slouching a lot, but Jesse Eisenberg seemed disproportionately short to everyone. Did you, did you like... In the film. Did you like Eduardo's girlfriend, that actress? I thought she was great. She was crazy. That was funny. Were you, and and last thing before we wrap up, though, Justin Timberlake, did it work for you, or did it not? How How do you feel about his performance? No, he was definitely good, because, you know... At least the way it was written, he's kind of a super confident slimeball, which I maybe think is uh, not necessarily that far away it's from... Is the role he was born to play, perhaps? Perhaps. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm suggesting. But he, you well, know... Uh, I feel the same way. I think he was very believably scummy. 
But in, in the context of... He's smart, He's too. not a guy and that I I'm... I feel like that's yeah. a Justin Timberlake thing, too. I mean, good Lord. He was in a boy band, and he's yeah. become, like, you know, a power player in Hollywood, not yeah. just in the music industry. Well, and I... You know, I've told you before that I... I fear a that I man crush? Is that no no no. I fear that I have a natural. My natural sexism comes out with watching actors and actresses because if there's an actress who I have personal issues with in real life or that I that I don't like the person, it's very difficult for me to like their performances, and. It isn't the case with men, and this is once again another example, because I don't like Justin Timberlake at all. He rubs me in the wrong way, but I really liked watching him in this movie. Well, look, he was they, enjoyable they gave to watch. Him such a charmer of an opening scene. Yeah, you know, it's a great scene, his, his introduction. That it's, uh, you know, he, he had you at hello. Yeah. Or, yeah, your name's Amy, you go to Stanford, you study, whatever. Yeah, it was good, it was good. That was very well-written, establishing scene. All right, well, we're going to call it. We're going to wrap it up because our baby is crying, and we need to take care of that. But thank you, Francesca. We'll do these in the future. I enjoyed it. We only had one fight. I know. But I'm going to punch you in the nuts for your naturally occurring sexism. (laughs) Okay.